where our lives are so rooted together and strong together that people would look at us and see Christ uh, and see our relationship together and glorifying, glorifying God with all that we do. Uh, some practices that are incredibly necessary for us to grow together, we've been talking about promise-keeping, truth-telling, and gratitude. We need to be a people who can tell each other the truth. And we are safe to tell each other the truth because we also have a promise together that says we're going to stick through this. We're going to be together in this. We are going to be a promise-making and promise-keeping sort of people. That if we say, hey, we're going to be there, and uh, if we're, we're going to be a part of VBS, hint, hint, you know, we're going to stick, stick in it together. That we would be a people who are gracious and show our gratitude to each other. All of this sort of hinges together on today's topic, which is hospitality. Hospitality. And reflecting about what I might say here this morning, I was thinking about the hospitality of Christ. And I've actually titled uh, this morning's message, The Gospel of Hospitality. I want to think about the life that Jesus lived here on earth and how he was hospitable and welcoming people into his life. And so if you would just go on with a quick adventure with me this morning, reflecting on scripture and a few passages, and think about Jesus as a host, Jesus as a guest in your very own home, and how he might have a thing or two to teach us about hospitality. So I'm going to read a few passages. If you want to hop around in the, in the scriptures, we're going to read a couple of different places. But what I want us to see is that Jesus, he goes out of his way to dine with people who are sinful, dine with people who have nefarious paths. He dines with the broken. He'll sit at the well with a woman with a broken marriage. He will eat with greedy tax collectors. He will eat with the ostracized, the lonely, and the forgotten. The Bible reveals Jesus as the Son of God who draws close to us in our broken and hurting world, and he offers to heal us. Today is about being a little more like Jesus and how we could welcome and love people in our lives. In Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 15, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And seeing Jesus eating and dining with tax collectors and sinners, they ask a question, Why does he do such a thing? They're asking a question that supposes if Jesus is the Son of God, if Jesus is the Messiah, 
if Jesus is God himself, why is he getting himself dirtied up by all these sinful tax collectors? Why does he eat with them? And Jesus quickly says, listen, it's the sick who need help. It's those who are broken who need help. It's those who are hurting in this world. It's those who are sinful who need help and healing. So Jesus, he, we will find him frequently in the scriptures eating with tax collectors and sinners, the lowly, the greedy, the broken. Jesus, he wants to help the sick, the hurting. He draws close to them and he eats with them. Jesus is hospitable to the broken, the far off, the hurting, and the sinful. Jumping over to Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Luke 7, 36. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. When a woman who had a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and as she stood beside him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that, that she is a sinner just thinking it in his head, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Well, tell me, teacher, he said, two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? And Simon replied, well, I suppose it's the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and, woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not, oil, did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. If this man was a prophet, if this man was a man of God, if he knew what he was talking about, if he knew what he was doing, then he would know what kind of woman that was. And he wouldn't let her even come near. The Pharisees, they wouldn't pick up on it, but Jesus was willing to go quite a bit further than letting sinners just draw near to him and wash his feet. In fact, Jesus would be willing to take on all of our sins. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Luke 14, starting in verse 1. One Sabbath, 
when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. He was swelled up with water. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking a hold of the man, he healed him and he sent him away. Then he asked them, if one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. Always the critics, but when they're questioned, they shut right up. And verse 7 says, when he noticed how the guests picked places, the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this man your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, Move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, when I read this 7 through 11 portion, I think of our seating arrangements, and I realize that all of you are taking the humble place, and you've just been waiting for me to invite you into the front row. And so if you've been waiting for that moment, I just wanted to let you all know um, that you can actually move up a seat or two, uh, that you are the distinguished guest. But whatever, I mean, you guys do your own thing. If it were my choice, I'd be back there too. But uh, then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet, and he invited many guests to come and be a part of that. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them all out. Nothing's more fun than trying out your oxen. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry. And he ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, 
what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and go to the country lanes and make them come in so that my house may be full. I tell you, not one of those men who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. I want you to see the heart of God. The heart of God is to have a full house, a home for us all, a banquet prepared for many. There are those whom the message will go out to, specifically I think the Israelites in Jesus' day, and they failed to respond. But now the word is going out among the broken. The word is going out among the hurting and the sinful. And Jesus is saying, come and have a place at the table. You have a home with God. This is the picture of the Gospel. Of God welcoming sinners. Welcoming all to come and have a home with Him. There's not a lot that I really understand about God. But what should be abundantly clear to me and abundantly clear to all of us that God has a heart for us. That He's invited us into His kingdom, into His home. If you get anything out of reading the Scriptures, it should be this, that there is a home for you with God and He has done everything He can to invite you in to be a part of His family. It's the heart of God that ought to fill His church. And it's this idea that should grab a hold of us and shape us as a people. From the very earliest beginnings of the church, people have wrestled with how to have this heart for others. You know, think about the ministry and life of Paul. The majority of his writing was dealing with a pretty big problem. So the message goes out. All of you are Gentiles that I'm aware of, and suddenly you get to be a part of the family of God. You don't know really anything about God. The Jews, they've had that sort of pretty well figured out. But suddenly you get to be a part of it. And Paul's looking at the problems in the early church, and he says, we've got to figure out a way to get these two people groups to get along. And we need to help them and underst uh, help them understand that Jews and Gentiles are now one in Christ. And what he says to them is, is that they used to be strangers and they used to be far off, but now they are being brought near through the blood of Christ. They are now one faith, one Lord, one baptism. They are all, all unified in Christ Jesus. And Paul will spend his life saying, these people who have been broken these people who have been ostracized, these people who have been called sinners their entire lives, they now have a place in the home of God. We see in Scripture, Paul ministering and teaching them that sinners are now saints, children of God, that those who are far away may be brought near. And so, friends, as we look as we look at Christ, as we look at His hospitality and welcoming people, 
How do we love strangers? How do we love people and view them now as children of God and invite them to be heirs in the promise of Abraham? I suppose how Jesus welcomed a sinner at a table with him help us see a lot more clearly this important truth, that God loves us. That's how God is bringing people in because he loves us and he doesn't stop. That Christ, he tears down the dividing walls of hostility. Now communities are being formed. It's neither Jew or Gentile, slave or free. They are all together in the name of Christ. Hospitality, culturally, is something that we've come to expect from hotels, restaurants, and our friends. That the best restaurants, the best hotels, and the best friends that we have are welcoming, and they prepare a space for us to feel welcome as guests and comfortable. We don't think of hospitality as a Christian practice that reveals the gospel so much as we think of hospitality as just making sure that the grass is cut and things are clean and you get a welcome mug from the Etna Green Church of Christ. Hospitality is not a means to get repeat business. Hospitality for the church is the way that we will show people the kingdom of God and his love for us. And so I want to think about this and how we can be a more hospitable people. It's more than a clean building. It's about people. And it's more than making people feel special. It's about welcoming people and drawing them closer to Christ and his love. We've come to expect in our consumer society certain accommodations and everybody trying to make us happy. But friends, we must draw near to Christ and his love for others. Hospitality in the Bible, this is about where you want to tune out. And I'm sorry, I don't do a lot of this uh, because it's not always beneficial. Uh, but uh, the Greek word for hospitality, okay, you can tune out. Now tune back in. The Greek word for hospitality is phileo or philia, the Greek word love, one of the Greek words for love, and xenos, which is stranger or enemy. And it's the combination of those two words, philo, xenos. Everybody say that with me. Philo, xenos. Hey, you guys can all learn Greek, okay? So it's the combination. It's a compound word. It is the love of stranger. That's what hospitality means. Hospitality is not what we've come to expect from a good hotel or a nice restaurant. Hospitality is the love of stranger. And the way the Bible talks about hospitality is, is that hospitality is something that the leaders should be really good at. That when you look at eldership and their qualifications, it says that they should be hospitable. And it's not they should be, uh, they should, they should be good at cleaning the carpet and making sure that people feel welcome in their home. That the qualifications for leadership is that they actually love strangers. Fascinating thing about xenos the word for stranger is that in many languages stranger and enemy are the same word. You could actually translate xenos as enemy. And think about that for a moment. This is why it's fascinating. So in a culture, not ours, we have two words, stranger and enemy. 
but how often and how quickly and easily it is for us to perceive that a stranger is our enemy. And in fact, we treat them the same way. We don't draw near to them. We just let them go and do their own thing. We don't welcome them. We don't make them uh, a part of our lives. So to be biblically hospitable, what we see is that we are love, uh, we love like a family member, a stranger. We treat a stranger like they are family. That's hospitality. We treat a stranger like they're family. And so then I think about the life and ministry of Jesus. And all of those passages I read were to ask a really simple and important question. And how I treat a stranger and how I welcome people into my life and how I conduct myself, do I look more like Jesus or do I look more like a Pharisee? Do I look more like Jesus or do I look more like a Pharisee? Individually, and then collectively as a church, do we look more like Jesus or do we look more like Pharisees? Jesus had to instruct these guys and say over and over again, guys, when you put together a meal, you seem really, really bent on seeing how this meal can advance you socially. Boy, I've never gone to a meal where I've wanted to network and get to know people and move up the ladder. I've never done that. Jesus says, you're all about yourselves. You're all about personal advancement. You're all about looking out for yourself. And Jesus, he's all about looking after us. And he looks at us and he says, here are broken and hurting and sinful people, and I just want to let you know that there is a home for you with God. And there was nothing about Jesus that was like, I'm going to reject you, hate you, push you away. In fact, Jesus is the most hospitable person you will ever meet. And he is the example of loving strangers, loving the broken, loving the sinful, like they are his very own family. That's what I want you to hear this morning. Is love your neighbor as yourself. God is doing something among a group of people who will welcome and be hospitable and loving to their community. And I want to offer encouragement. I know that that sound, everything I said up to this point may have sound harsh, like I don't think you're doing that. And that's not the case. I, I see in each and every one of you these moments. These moments where you are so thoughtful about what people are going through and you write cards and encouragements. I see moments where it's like, yeah, we can do a meal for those folks. They have a lot going on. We're wanting to do whatever it is that we can encourage and help people feel like they can have a home. The Etna Green Church of Christ. I think about our world. I think about a lot uh, that is going on in it. And, And Christians, we struggle with issues, issues like recognition and dignity. 
And how do we love people who are not like us? How do we love people that are not like us economically? How do we love people who are not like us racially? How do we love people like us that didn't grow up in a Christian home? How do we love people and welcome them? We're called to transcend social differences. We're called to build community together in the name of Christ. But everywhere we turn, the world is divided. Republican or Democrat, conservative or liberal, poor or rich, black or white. We see the early church distribute resources like in the book of Acts and have plenty of scripture on how they tried to navigate the tensions between Jews and Gentiles becoming one in Christ. But how do we care for one another and share our resources when we have crippling debt or we look out for ourselves foremost? How do we live as one in a world that still seeks to divide us racially and economically? There are serious problems in American churches and society. We struggle to find better ways to respond to homeless people, people with disabilities, immigrants, and refugees. We watch the news, and this week is filled with vitriol and anger over how do we do just this? Welcome and love people. Questions about diversity and inclusion, boundaries and community, they challenge us daily. We search for more personal ways to respond to youth who are detached and alienated. How do we help young people know that they have a place in the family of God? How do we help people know that the church, uh, about, uh, about a life in the community of the saints? In many cases, we feel as, as if we are strangers ourselves and even in our own families. And, church, and as churches, we long for bonds that give life meaning and hope. Our problems are many. The struggles are significant. We face incredible problems. And the question becomes, what can we do? And friends, it's not what we can do, but what has been done. What we need is the gospel. What we need is a trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and King. And what we need most, friends, is his heart. We must draw near as in Mary and Martha when Mary drew near to Christ. True hospitality comes from having a heart from God. What we need is to remember our invitation to the great banquet, that we have a home with God, that that invitation has been given to me, that invitation is also for my neighbor. That invitation is for my stranger. And yes, even for my enemy. That God's invitation is for us all. To come and have life in Him. Our Father's house has many rooms. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. Will you come and have life in Him? Will you find your home with God?
And better yet, will you bring someone along with you? Telling them that there is a home for them. And God is their Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, and I thank you for your Son. We thank you for the grand invitation to come and be a part. Be a part of you. Be a part of what you're doing in this world. God, you're well aware of the brokenness and the hurt. God, let us just sit at a table with sinners and tell them that we're sinners too and saved by you. God, let's not gather together for meals and look out for ourselves, but humble ourselves before you. God, let let us invite people into our homes and into our lives not for what they can do for us, but what we can point out about you. What we can do for you, how we can love and help others. God, we repent for the times that we've made it about us. We repent for being closed off to others, hiding out in fear. God, the strangers feel just the same way about us. But they need to know what we know. They need to know what we know about you. And so so help us to keep growing in hospitality. And God, even if the walls fall apart, Let our heart be broken and healed and built up to love and treasure you and tell others about you. God, we thank you for your Son. He is our hope and our salvation. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord and our King. And we lift high praise to you through Jesus Christ through your spirit. Amen. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts like the rest we were by nature objects of wrath but because of his great love for us God who is rich in mercy has made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions it's by grace that you have been saved God raised us up with Christ and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed to us in kindness in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those 
by those who were circumcised. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and you were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. You were without hope and you were without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, you've been brought near through the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and He's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing in His flesh the law with its commands and regulations, His purpose was to create in Himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And this is one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which He put to death their hostility. He came and He preached peace to you who are far away, and to peace to those, and peace to those who are near. For through Him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners, you are no longer strangers, but you are fellow citizens with God's people, and you are members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, this whole building is joined together and rises together to become the temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. You once were strangers. Now you are saints of God. Can you stand with us? John. 